We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Napa know-how. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolor paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Derek Van Riper here with Tim Heaney. It's the Friday heading into week 13 in many leagues. It is the last week of the regular season. Your last chance to make a push, make the playoffs, maybe to improve your seating, uh, maybe to spoil someone else's fun. I mean, that could be the goal for this week. Whatever it is, we're here to help. And if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or some other platform where you can leave a rating and review. If you like the pod, we'd appreciate it if you could go ahead and leave us a review uh, that indicates as much. And, and beyond that, thanks to those who've already done it. I know it takes a few minutes to do, not a lot, but it is a way of saying thank you for uh, you know, us having this podcast. Uh, and beyond that, of course, thanks to those who subscribe because of the podcast. That's also uh, very good. Tim, how's it going for you on this Friday? Uh, it's doing all right, man. Just as you said, just kind of sweating out some uh, playoff bursts this week. I'm, you know, around fifth or sixth in a few leagues and trying to see what this weekend brings. And obviously losing a lot of injured players in the recent weeks has made things a lot more interesting there. How about you? Yeah, I'm reeling from the Gronk news yesterday. Um, got him in the Stopa League, which is a two tight end league. My team has been doing great. I lead the league in points, but I'm only six and six. So I think the way that league is built, I got to double check with Stopa. I think the leading scorer in points makes the playoffs anyway. So as long as I don't have a bad week points-wise, even if I lose, I might fall to 6-7 and seven and still get in, and the key is just to get there, right? That's that's the main thing. But teams have just gone off against me every week in that league, and to lose Gronk in a two-tight end league is brutal because there's nothing out there to replace him. I'm looking at like A.J. Derby as a pickup, and I think other people out there are even in one tight end leagues, might be scrambling because that could be the kind of thing where you weathered it all season, 
you know, you haven't been happy with spending a first rounder or maybe an early to mid second round pick on Gronk or a lot of money in your auction. You've made it to this point. You got a playoff caliber team, and you were hoping that maybe Gronk being healthy weeks 14 through 16 could put you over the top. Instead, you've got potentially an Achilles heel, depending on how you've handled his previous absences uh, this season. So we'll take a look at the Gronk situation. We'll take a look at some injuries. Uh, We'll start with the Thursday night game. Minnesota is a hard team to watch right now. Like they are, they are not a good watch. And the Cowboys came away with a 17-15 win uh, in large part because of the Adam Thielen turnover on a punt return. That was a, a pivotal play in this game. The Vikings had a 9-7 lead at the time. Uh, but you look at this, this Cowboys team, and they just don't really have a glaring weakness. They have had injuries this year, of course, because Tony Romo went down. Uh, Barry Church has missed some time. Uh, Dez missed a little time. But as long as Zeke's healthy and the offensive line holds up, I don't really know what's going to trip them up. Is it going to be a game where you know Dak plays okay, not great? Because it doesn't seem like his floor is very low. Like his his disaster game doesn't seem like it's that bad. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right on the fact that he's kind of raised his floor as he's gone along as a rookie. But I think. You know, last night we did see a lot of what the blueprint would be to stop them, just get a lot of good pass rush on him. Obviously, he did show a little bit more, uh, you know, antsiness in the pocket a little bit. You know, obviously, strip sack, you know, the fumble, and he lost that. And, uh, you know, just a little bit little bit more uh, was needed to, I guess, get him more, a more efficient game. I think the Vikings defense kind of might maybe set the table a little bit for some of the teams that Dallas had to face in the postseason to kind of really, you know, get get a handle of him. If you if you keep Dallas, you know, from from getting an early lead and, and running the clock out, you know, you can control the you know the game basically by by picking on that weaker defense. That that front is not very good, especially for the fact that Morris Claiborne being out of that secondary, they really had trouble starting the stopping the short game, which made Sam Bradford look like you know Joe Montana at points, which is you know frustrating to watch sometimes. But you know, you, you control the clock with some of those short passing gains and. You know, that's a way to keep Dallas off the field. And I don't know, the Vikings, it, a better quarterback, I think, would have torn the Cowboys apart last night. It's true. I think part of it's the scheme, too. And the offensive line play for Minnesota is so bad that it's also hard to judge anybody on the field right now. Stephon Diggs has been hurt. He played last night. He caught eight passes for 59 yards on eight targets. I thought they would go to him in some of the other crucial situations. They threw Charles Johnson a few times, uh, Cordero Patterson. Only had three targets. I think at least one of those came in a spot where I thought, man, was Stephon Diggs really covered that well on that play? Or Sam Bradford just ultra-conservative with the decision-making? Uh, Jarek McKinnon still had the carry edge over Matt Asiata, 9-6, to six, but that edge uh, has narrowed uh, 41 yards for McKinnon. He did haul in Sam Bradford's only TD pass, 5-14 for 14 as a pass catcher for McKinnon, plus that TD. So if you threw him in your lineup, you're actually happier than you've been pretty much at any other point. Uh, this season, which has been a big surprise. But again, offensive line play is a recurring theme. Uh, Thielen had that fumble on the punt return, 7 for 86 on 9 targets, full point PPR. If you used Thielen or Diggs, you were okay. And non-PPR, especially with Diggs, I think you would have been disappointed. Uh, You mentioned Dak. I mean, 12 for 18, 139 yards and a TD. The Cowboys were gifted a very short field after that Thielen fumble. That's when Des Bryant scored uh, the only passing TD that the Cowboys had six targets for Dez four for 84 nothing else in the passing game to get excited about and then Zeke 20 carries 86 yards and a score kind of his floor right now seems to be 80 yards and a touchdown which is amazing because this is this is a year where we were concerned about running backs overall and three backs in, in Bell Elliott and, and David Johnson seem to be guys that will all go within the first four to five picks of drafts in 2017. Yeah, um, definitely the, the case there. Obviously, do, do you want to consider how much you want to spend on a running back again? Because most of those running backs, you know, Elliott uh, definitely wasn't taken until the you know close to the end of the first round in most leagues. And David Johnson was kind of the one that crept towards the number one spot a little bit more. Bell, obviously, the suspension wasn't considered that early, but he might be obviously in a full season. So, you know, I, I feel like we're kind of going back and forth in directions here. Oh, you know, zero running back, but now we have to go full running back. It's kind of kind of, kind of either way. It's gonna and end that trend in a few years because you know the trend will you know we'll already have it already have passed us by I guess which direction to go and we'll just be chasing instead of you know getting ahead of trends so I'm not sure if I'll do that next year but it's definitely interesting to note that 
Yeah, I <laughs> I always wonder why we can't correct appropriately because this year I know I know Peter Schenke wrote a piece about how running backs I think were being drafted later than ever. Like the the price price drop at the top on running backs for guys that had down years was much more pronounced than in previous years. Why can't we ever just make the appropriate level of adjustments? You know, like it always <laughs> swings too far in one direction and it swings too far back in the other. Like, why are we so bad at getting it right? I think, I mean, I, I think, I think it comes down to the actual draft format. I think auctions do actually a really good job of, you know, stri- you know, putting the striations of, of the value within positions and overall a little bit better than snake drafts do because, you know, serpentine, you kind of have to jump at guys at the first chance you get. And I think that might throw off the value chain a little bit. So I don't know. This is why I like auctions more than, than snake because you feel less forced into over, overpaying on somebody. You feel, you know, less constricted with what you have to work with. You can have a lot more strategies to work with. I think maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe just the snake format being the most popular thing really just kind of skews our valuation of these players overall. Yeah, it, it might. And, uh, as we kind of look ahead, I mean, I I still think you're going to see LaShawn McCoy and DeMarco Murray going in the first round of drafts next year. Julio will still be up there. Mike Evans will move up uh, even higher. Of course, Allen Robinson, DeAndre Hopkins will fall. I think A.J. Green will go at a similar price as he went this year. He was kind of a late first rounder. Uh, Gurley's going to fall probably to the end of round two, early round three. We talked about that on the XM show. And the reason why I think he only falls to the round two, three turn in snake drafts with Todd Gurley, he's got a better skill set than Eddie Lacy. And if you think back to where Eddie Lacy was last December, the number of owners who were frustrated by his lack of output, by the fact that his role uh, was being taken away because of problems with his weight, Lacy was going at the 2-3 turn during this draft season in 2016. And Todd Gurley is twice the talent of Eddie Lacy. That's not even me cutting on Lacy. That's just how good Gurley can be. If the Rams do anything to improve the offensive line, to improve the quality of the personnel of the offense as a whole, uh, with other good skill position players, you know, I think we could see Todd Gurley get back to a high four yard per carry sort of average, four five, four seven, whatever it might be, and I, I think he can actually return pretty good value from that two three turn. Oh, absolutely, last year's trash type of thing, and I think you're right. I think it's better. His situation next year will be, will be better than Lacey's this year because you know the Packers obviously still a, a pass first team. The Rams, you know, want to be a run first team as often as possible. I think Golf, Jared Golf, being quarterback, actually helps that more because you know he does keep the defense a little bit looser. I think when it comes to you know attacking eight men in the box, and you know Golf's a, a running threat a bit himself, so that might open things up a little bit for Gurley as well. So yeah, I'm with you on that one. Gurley's a guy that I think everybody's going to be buying low on. It's probably going to be like a chalk buy low. I think. Let's run through some of the key injuries uh, for this week. We found out Sammy Watkins has a broken bone in his left foot. He's playing through it. Here's where I'm concerned. I think he played 25 snaps against the Jags on Sunday in his return. Anthony Lynn, the Bills offensive coordinator, uh, made a point to say that he's not convinced that Watkins, who says he's feeling good, uh, is going to play or be able to play much more than he did in that matchup against Jacksonville. And if he doesn't, if Sammy Watkins doesn't take a step forward, even to the 35-40 snap range, I think you do have to be careful about turning him loose in season long and in plugging him into your tournament lineups for, for DFS purposes. I think you have to consider him a flex at best. Obviously, he did break that one nice catch, uh, 62 yards, uh, I believe it was last week. You know, but that's that could be one play, and then his foot could you know start flaring up, and he might just not be able to go again. So it's it's too much of a you know a dice roll at this point to really rely on anything more than a flex spot there. And and the Bills are just oh my god, it's just who, besides LaShawn McCoy, who's really the good playmaker in this offense? With if Watkins, he's you know just really mostly a decoy. Robert Woods, I don't think is playing this week, right? So it's you know, and you keep talking about the lack of weapons with the Bills and Tyrod Taylor. It's not a pretty offense to look at. Tyrod Taylor is just good. Like I, I know the, the efficiency numbers, you look at them this year and you're like, oh, 6.7 YPA. Throwing the ball to Robert Woods and Marquise Goodwin and the reincarnation of Percy Harvin and a broken Charles Clay and a broken Sammy Watkins only for last week, really, and very little at the beginning of the season. It's amazing to me that Tyrod Taylor has been this good. Only four picks in 313 attempts this year, pretty much in line with what he did last year, 380 attempts in 14 games, only six interceptions last year. I don't think we give Tyrod Taylor enough credit for accomplishing what he's been able to do with that supporting cast. He's doing even more as a runner this year, up to 6.3 yards per rush, five rushing scores through 11 games. He had four last year, 5.5 yards per carry. This is a guy that I think each and every week is a consideration 
for GPPs. This week, I, I think you can make a case for him again on, on DraftKings. And I think he's 5,700, if I'm not mistaken, for that matchup against Oakland. Uh, Oakland's a three-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under is pretty high. Oakland's defense can leak some points at times, even though they got some big playmakers on that side of the ball. Tyrod Taylor might be the most underrated quarterback in the NFL right now, both from a fantasy perspective, but also from a real-life perspective. No, I agree with you. I'm, I, I'm just m- m- mainly saying it's just all the hardships he's faced by throwing to guys that you know would mostly be practice squad guys or you know third stringers on a lot of teams. But yeah, I agree. Obviously, Taylor's like a little bit of a mini Kaepernick right now when it comes to the, the dual threat type of situation, and you know, kind of goes into funny reasons why you pay so high for Cam Newton coming into this year when you have other guys that could do the same thing and you know add add, add a lot of rushing yards, which actually obviously a, a more efficient way in fantasy is to score points and passing yards. So yeah, I mean, obviously the situation overall is bad, but Taylor himself, I agree with you. He, definitely underappreciated he's got at least 35 rushing yards in each of his last five he actually goes back six games with that six four rushing tds in the last five games the passing yards totals are lower than what you want uh, but he has flashed up at times with some big numbers 297 back in week two against the jets 246 against the patriots in week four 221 uh, against the dolphins if he's getting in the low 220s but he's still rushing for 30 plus yards and, and getting a rushing td He's going to make value. I think maybe I overestimate his ceiling because of that supporting cast, but especially looking at 2017, if he gets some weapons around him, he could take another big step forward next year and really surprise some people. So I think it's easy to look past the numbers because they they don't jump off the page, but when you put them into the context of what's around him, the quality of the offensive line, Tyrod Taylor looks like a really nice quarterback for the Bills. Uh, Jordan Reed has been ruled out. Not a big surprise. He didn't practice all week. Uh, he's got a grade three AC joint separation. I wonder if he's actually going to play even in week 14 or 15. I think this could be a multi-week sort of problem. Even if Reed had been out there this week in a limited role, I think it would have been dangerous to use him because the snap count may have went down. He might have had some range of motion problems. Earlier this week, he said he was at 30% for his range of motion, which is pretty low. Uh, Vernon Davis steps up to replace him, and he might be on the list of players people want to go after with Gronk down. But Arizona has been the most stingy team in the league as far as fantasy points allowed to opposing tight ends this year. So I think when you think about that, Vernon Davis is more of a lottery ticket for this week and maybe the kind of guy that you like in weeks 14, 15, and 16 if Reed continues to miss time. Yeah, I, I give credit to that, but obviously, I don't know, Kirk Cousins launching the ball, it might not even matter with the matchup at this point, you know, if he's throwing 40, 50 times, Davis is going to inherit a lot of those, and, you know, you, you kind of have to figure what the Cardinals have faced at tight end this year, I was looking at the stats before, you know, they, they, they haven't faced that many, you know, stellar options the last couple of weeks, the Falcons, the, the Vikings in the last two weeks were, you know, mediocre at best, Vance McDonald got 50 yards on them, Jimmy Graham got 53 yards on five catches in week seven. It's been kind of a, a hodgepodge of no names really at tight end uh, for most of the year for them. So I'm not sure how much I believe those statistics as much. If they have someone like Vernon Davis who's going to slot out, you know, go into the slot and, you know, be a little bit more involved than most tight ends. I got to give him a little more credit than that, I think, because it, that's the fact that the Cardinals might not match up as well against someone who can make the moves that the athletic guy like Davis can do it. I st- that being said, I, I still like a top 10, not like a top five option for me, sure. But, you know, the, the price is a very good profitable uh, way to, to use him in daily fantasy. And, you know, if, if, for Gronk owners, you're going to be desperate either way. And, you know, maybe maybe uh, Davis will be a guy that can have multiple week value. Just I don't know if I would spend all my you know fab money on him eventually. Moving on to Andrew Luck. The Colts play Monday against the Jets. He's expected to be fully cleared uh, from the concussion protocol by then. We'll know for sure either Friday or Saturday what his status is likely to be. Limited reps in practice uh, this week, at least Thursday, which is essentially a Wednesday practice if you're playing Monday night. He's also got a shoulder injury. He's had that going on all year. So for Luck to get several full practices in over the course of a week seems like a stretch, even if the concussion symptoms are completely gone. How much do you like him this week, assuming he's going to return against the Jets in that Monday night matchup? Uh, I mean, part of me wants to say, oh, man, he's facing that Jets defensive line that could really, I think, you know, throw around that Colts offensive line. But I don't think it's really done a lot to bother, you know, most teams that face the Jets if they have weaker offensive lines than the Colts do. So I like I think I like Luck as a top seven-ish quarterback this week, I think. Unfortunately, obviously, can't use him in a lot of the Sunday DFS games, that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, Luck's a guy that I think you have to throw out there this week uh, in, 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 you know, season-long leagues because, you know, it's those, the matchups for those receivers against that secondary is just really, really drool-inducing to me. And by the way, I'm, I'm really glad that the, the daily side, the DraftKings fan, the two main ones anyway, got rid of the Monday night game as part of their big contests. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I never liked that where 
it carried over for a day. There was still one game uh, in DraftKings. You could tweak the lineup a little bit more within that game, of course, with the late swap. I like it so much better that Sunday night caps off you know, the millionaire maker. Like That, to me, just seems right. It's a little more self-contained that way, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, imagine if you're sitting in first place in the Millie Maker. Maybe you've got one player left to go, and the Monday night game's still a factor. Like, just sweating that out for an entire day would be absolutely <laughs> miserable because you, you just don't know. I mean, other people out there could be close with two or three players going. You might get passed. You might go from a million dollars to 500 or something, depending on uh, how much the players in that game are owned. I just think that would have been a brutal way to go if you had that lead at the end of the day on Sunday, only to see it disappear on Monday. Uh, moving on to some other injury items, A.J. Green is considered doubtful. I don't know if he's going to play again this year. I guess it's somewhat encouraging that he's doubtful and not sitting there uh, already ruled out for Week 13. Uh, if you have him, have you cut him loose, or are you still waiting to see what happens in Week 14? Still waiting. Um, I have a league where, with him where I luckily have an IR spot that I can use on, so that, that that's a you know very fortunate thing. But you definitely have to plan around him, I think, at this point uh, to just get you know get wide receivers elsewhere where you can. If you drop a guy like AJ Green and then all of a sudden you know week fifteen, oh I'm better by the way, or week fourteen against the Browns, which another reason to keep him if he does suit up if you're really desperate in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, I, I think you just kind of have to wait and see on this one, and you know, but you got to think the Bengals with three seven and one. That's you know. Not 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 a very big reason to have him play again, unless you know there's a really miraculous way they get in the playoff picture, which I'm thinking is not looking good right now. No, it uh, it's not looking <laughs> good at all. I think they would need a lot of help and they have to run mm-hmm. the table. So I'm betting against it uh, at this point. Uh, looking at Mark Ingram, he's got a toe injury. He didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. I've not seen a Saints practice report just yet. We're recording a little earlier than usual. Uh, it's lunchtime in the mountain time range as we record. No one ever thinks about the mountain time range, mm. by the way. It's always forgotten. It's the other three yeah. time zones dominating mostly the two coasts. Uh, but with Ingram, he's still going to share touches with Tim Hightower. It's a question of how many. And even if he goes, I wonder if it's even closer to 50-50 again this week, even if the Saints want to give him more of a workload because he's had turf toe injuries in the past. No indication yet that this is a turf toe sort of problem. But... The Saints want Mark Ingram to be as effective as possible down the stretch, and if they are comfortable with Hightower running the ball, especially against Detroit, there's no reason to give two-thirds or three-quarters of the workload to Ingram. Yeah, and you got to wonder how much they'd use him in pass protection with that toe injury as well. Uh, yeah, I'm... I'm not really the, the keenest on Ingram this week. Uh, Hightower looks like would be, you know, a little bit better of a role. You know, you kind of value them both as, you know, number two running backs at this point with Hightower. You know, probably in the lead at this point, you want to see kind of if, if, what Ingram does practice today. Uh, but it, like you said, even if he does practice, I still think it's going to be too much of a split to really, really go hard, you know, go all in on either player here. So Hightower might be the one to play in PPR leagues, though, for, for the reason I said before. Yeah, I think there's definitely some some DFS tournament considerations there with Hightower. It might even be somewhat high-owned, too, because it's not a Mm -hmm. difficult thing to find underpriced players in that game. I think it's the highest over-under of the week. Uh, Chris Ivory, Alan Hearns out in the Jags matchup against Denver. Both players have hamstring injuries they suffered in Week 12. Denard Robinson will take on a larger role. TJ Yeldon has been slowed by an ankle injury. Prior to that, he hasn't played particularly well. He's a little dinged up, too. Uh, he was limited at practice on Thursday. I assume he did something on Friday because he wasn't ruled out with the other Jags injured players, but I don't think you can use any Jags this week at all. I don't think you can use Bortles. I don't think you can use Robinson, Yeldon. Uh, I don't think you want to use you know, Marquise Lee even this week because Denver's defense is just that good. Yeah, I mean, maybe you, you use Robert, Robinson in the case where he might you know, catch a few more passes out of the backfield. That that's something in full PPR that you could consider there. I don't know if I would trust Yeldon. Obviously, that's his usual role. But you know, maybe this case you want to have Yeldon obviously be the backup to Robinson if Robinson is the only healthy back there. Yeah, it's obviously GPP if you're really trying to break away from the pack in, in situations like that. I mean, I have Robinson in a, starting in a couple leagues, but that have like you know multiple flex options. It's really deep leagues, so I was happy to get him, which says a lot about the league that you're in and the injury state I'm in. So you know, very, in, in con- certain contexts, you might be excited to play someone like that. Yeah, it depends on how uh, <laughs> how thin things have become for you. Otherwise, Jacquez Rogers has a foot injury. He might be back this week. It looks like he will be because he's not even carrying an injury tag uh, at the moment. 
The thing about Jacquez Rogers that has tripped me up, I stashed him away earlier this week. I, I picked him up. I let Dwayne Washington go. I, Washington might actually have a good game against the Saints. It's possible just because anything can happen against the Saints defense. But the reason I, I decided to stash away Rodgers, we're at the point in the season where in terms of roster management, you want the kind of player where if the starter goes down, you get a high-volume player that can be really useful. As we saw when Doug Martin was down earlier this year, Jacquez Rodgers was a workhorse. I never thought we'd see that in the NFL, but clearly Dirk Cutter likes him. We talked about him a few weeks ago. I don't think you can use him as a flex or anything like that as long as Martin's healthy, but I think that the handcuffs you want especially are players that can get that role and they're behind a guy that's already been dinged up once this year. We know hamstring injuries can certainly be aggravated and become a problem again in the same season, so I felt like Rodgers was the maybe kind of an overlooked stash for the fantasy playoffs. I did, I did, I did exactly the same thing in uh, one, one of the leagues I'm in as well. I'm, I'm really dire for running backs. I'm like, you know what? Let's see what Rodgers can do. Obviously, you know, you said the Dirk Cutter connection. Their days in Atlanta carried over. You know, had a 30 carry game early in the year. No one expected that. And then a 26 carry one against the Niners, which you know, obviously against that defense meant he got 154 yards. So I, wor- I worry a little bit about Charles Sims' role if he does come back from injured reserve this year. But I think you know, if Martin kind of if Martin happens to to go down. It would be a split, and Rodgers would probably get the goal line work in that situation because he's the better interior runner than Sims. So you're right. You're kind of grasping at straws at this point. Rodgers, a guy who's done it before earlier in the year, would be an easy, you know, like you said, sliding into that role. You know, not a bad idea to, to at least look at him if you need like a number six running back to really just kind of supplement your backups. Some other injury news pertaining to running backs. Ryan Matthews out with a knee injury. Uh, probably going to see more of Wendell Smallwood. It is Wendell, too, we found out oh. uh, from our producer, Trevor. Ra- I've been hearing people say it both ways, announcers, Wendell. radio people alike it is Wendell going back to his college days too so uh, we'll get that right going forward cool. and our apologies Wendell. to uh, Wendell Smallwood if he's been listening to this pod we've been probably getting course, it wrong of course he has you know everyone does I think everyone everybody listens, listens to this pod like, everybody all the celebrities <laughs> all the players uh, players of other sports everybody's listening to this podcast they just they don't mm-hmm. tell any they're they're quiet about it they don't tweet at us and Say, hey, we really like the pod, or you know, hey, we we noticed that you called out so and so this week. They they keep it mm-hmm. on the down low, which is you know that's fine too. Uh, Jordan Matthews has an ankle injury; he's questionable, so I think you got to keep an eye on his status heading into that game against the Bengals if you're planning on using Jordan Matthews this week. Tyrell Williams has a shoulder injury; he's expected to play, even though he missed practice Wednesday, Thursday. I believe he was able to do something this morning at practice that's leading people to believe he'll be okay. Yeah, he's okay. So this is according to Michael Gelkin of the San Diego Union mm. Tribune. Uh, Williams is on the field practicing today. First time this week, Williams says, quote, I should be 100% by Sunday. I think he can still use him in the season long, but I wouldn't be surprised to see an uptick in targets for the likes of Dontrell Inman and perhaps uh, Antonio Gates getting back into the game plan after he disappeared against Houston in Week 12. Yeah, it's always tough to pick that San Diego receiver that's going to go off that week. Um, you know, I, I think the way it lines up this week against the Bucks, uh, you know, Brent Grimes and Eltron Werner actually haven't been bad in the secondary. So whoever can get on uh, Hargraves, I believe, uh, Vernon Hargraves, the, the weak link in that secondary, I think will be good. I think Williams is the most likely to do that because he kind of moves around a bit more. So, yeah, if, if I own Williams in season long, I'm definitely throwing him back in there, you know. If I, if I my options are a little bit limited, but yeah, I'm with you on that one. Just kind of wide receiver three-ish type value there. Devontae Parker has been ruled out for this week. That's kind of a big deal, I think, because it's a tough matchup already uh, when you look at the Dolphins trying to go up against a good Ravens defense. One of the stories that hasn't really got much attention this week is just how well uh, the the um, the Ravens defense has played. I'm seeing now Adam Gase hasn't ruled him out. But I've also seen some other suggestions that he's not going to play. So I guess we'll, we'll label it as such. If he's out, which seems like a likely possibility, Jarvis Landry becomes more interesting, especially on DraftKings where you're getting a full point for every reception, uh, even against a good Baltimore defense because there's just going to be a heavier concentration of targets going in his direction. And one thing that Landry's done this year, a bit under the radar, is he's up that yards per target number, 8.2 yards per target, for Jarvis Landry, uh, the PPR per game production is down slightly. It's about down three points per game from last year. But he's still a guy that when this, when the tree gets skinnier in Miami, he can benefit from that. Oh, I think so. Uh, I think Adam Gase obviously 
doing a little bit better job at putting them in positions to get more yards after the catch as well. Uh, you know, that's a pretty big uh, upgrade for this offense. Obviously, Landry used to be used as, as basically their running game when they weren't getting much done. Now, with AHI, they can maybe send him downfield a little bit more to get more things done. So I definitely agree. I, I think Landry, you know, might have more responsibilities downfield in this case. Maybe Kenny Stills a little bit in, in DFS there because, you know, he'll have a lot of the similar – you know, Parker type roles downfield, you know, like maybe the non PPR leagues can give him a try too. you know, he's kind of a distance based receiver, not necessarily a guy that's going to run a lot of, you know, routes for you shorthand. But, you know, the case where he could be you know, a kind of a lot of ticket type of guy that could, you know, be a nice sleeper this week. T.Y. Hilton still dinged up. He's got a back injury he suffered on Thursday night on Thanksgiving against the Steelers. We'll see where he's at coming through the weekend. But if he's not practicing at least in limited capacity by Saturday, I think you have to start pivoting away from him uh, in your season-long lineups. We'll see what he's able to do today and tomorrow. Of course, Rob Gronkowski, as I mentioned when we started, he's out. He's probably not going to play again this season, even in the Super Bowl. I think that's a stretch based on the conversation I had with Jeff Stotts earlier today. Uh, who are you leaning on? as Gronk replacements. I mean, where, where are you going on the waiver wire? Ladarius Green's available in some leagues, and mm-hmm. deeperly, I mentioned A.J. Derby is a player I had to consider. Uh, I mean, C.J. Fedorowicz in like an 8 or a 10-team league might be out there. I think he's been snapped up in most of the competitive leagues uh, that are out there. But how do you even try to replace him? Is it a streaming situation? I mean, Jermaine Gresham has been more involved in recent weeks, but that to me seems really fluky. Yeah, it's a little... A little deep, but maybe that's somebody you have to look at in your in your two tight end league there. Uh, yeah, Fedorowicz was the guy I was probably going to mention. He's you know been heavily involved with Brock Osweiler, who's not going to push the ball downfield that much. He kind of leans on him a little bit. You know, Fedorowicz has only had below six targets per game once in the last seven games, so that's pretty good. Uh, you know, that's the involvement you kind of want to have if you're replacing a Gronk. You know, maybe Antonio Gates might be available somewhere. I'm not sure. I really really buy into that. But you know, Vernon Davis obviously will be going to be a popular one. But you know, as we talked about, if Reed does return this year, that kind of you know sinks Davis's opportunities a little bit. You know, maybe there's an Eric Ebron available. Uh, obviously, against the Saints this week, he might have already been picked up in a lot of places as a, as a stream play himself. And you know, Derby, I, I wouldn't rule him out because you know Virgil Green for the Broncos more of a blocking asset. You know, that's like one of his. That's probably his best skill. It's to kind of pass protect, and obviously, as we know, Trevor Simeon does need a little bit of that. So, you know, Derby's the guy they can maybe send out on more routes there. That's, you know, kind of the tight end two territory, like you said, streaming-wise type. So, you know, we talk about how tight end is not very deep in terms of top-end production, the top-end production that you pay Gronk to have. But, you know, in dire situations like this, thank goodness it's towards the end of the season where you can kind of play a little bit with smaller sample sizes and actually get some uh, good reads on who's actually going to help you Vance McDonald's out there in some leagues I like what yeah, he's been doing with Colin one. Kaepernick so he might be near the top of the list I think Lance yeah. Kendricks is getting a little bit more of a useful floor Will Ty has been more involved in recent weeks I'm um, seeing Kobe Fleener has been dropped in my 10-team home league he's on waivers mm-hmm. until Saturday it's a good week for him. just for this week against the Lions I think Fleener is worth a stream over most of those guys I mentioned. But if you're looking for a week-to-week, Vance McDonald might be the best available solution right now if you're scrambling at the tight end position. I keep wondering if Ladarius Green's going to get the expanded workload that we're all hoping for. It seems far from guaranteed, but if he does, he could be a difference maker in the fantasy playoffs. Yeah, I, I think that there's a, a lot to, to, to like with how he's been increased. Obviously, Roethlisberger needs a little bit more of a guy to, to challenge downfield, I guess, because Sammy Coates hasn't been there. Obviously, Eli Rogers more of a slot guy. You know, Green has that breakaway playmaking, and the Giants have been really weak against tight ends. So I think, if, if nothing else, Green might have a big role in getting you to, to the playoffs this week. And yeah, I think, I think I'm going to like him a lot more for 2017 along with a lot of other people. Yeah, I think he's going to be the commonly written up sleeper. Remember, we all liked Ladarius Green last year. Well, we still like him because he's finally healthy, and <laughs> you know that that whole thing uh, will probably go down. Uh, speaking of, of playoffs, Jim Coventry, one of the writers uh, at RotoWire, put up a great article. It's uh, Week 14 through 16 strength of schedule rankings. He's got uh, team by team. They're based on team versus position fantasy points through Week 12. Uh, and you know the biggest strength of schedule thing that caught my eye two months ago, if not even at the beginning of the season, is that Tampa Bay and New Orleans play each other in weeks 14 and 16. So you're looking mm-hmm. at two games where the offenses could both just go bananas. And I've been waiting on that all season long. I got Breeze in a <laughs> league. I got Mike Evans in a couple places. Hopefully Mike Evans can just have monster games, and that carries me through the Stopa League playoffs, even without Gronk. But uh, looking at Jim's article... You go position by position uh, as far as difficulty. One thing that really caught my eye, uh, the Patriots, I believe, have the, is it the 
32 would be bad in this case, yes, right? Like 32, that's, that's 32 the, is bad. Yeah. yeah, the Patriots, I was looking at their schedule. They, they've got some tough matchups. I've got Brady in a league, and I was thinking about flipping him because we still haven't had a trade deadline. You know, no Gronk is going to be something that maybe ticks his value down slightly anyway, but the Patriots have some really tough matchups coming up in these next three games. Yeah, um, you know, the thing is with that, I mean, are we at the point where we still trust Tom Brady to be regardless of who's catching the ball. Uh, you know, I, I, as you said, obviously, Gronk not being there does does put a hole in things. And obviously, you know, the, the receiving core hasn't been all that great this year, even though obviously Malcolm Mitchell might be throwing off some of the, uh, you, know, you know, some of some of the, uh, you know, ascensions of that. But, you know, uh, Denver's a case where, you know, you're going to have to work around that pass rush. You're going to have to work around that, uh, you, you know, the, obviously the great cornerbacks there. But I, I think the Jets in Week 16 is actually a really good time to own him. Uh, and the Ravens, do you wonder if he, if Bill Belichick and you know and, and Josh McDaniels will just kind of take advantage of the Ravens in the passing game a little bit? Because there are a little bit of holes in that Ravens secondary that you can get through. Obviously, it's not really going to be a run-heavy game. So I think, obviously, if you make it to Week 16 with Brady, then uh, you know then I think you got to start him in Week 16, obviously, against those Jets. Yeah, Packers also, from a quarterback's perspective, uh, have a, a difficult strength of schedule. So that's a little bit of a concern. But you're right, the Jets in Week 16 for the Patriots especially could end up being uh, something that puts you over the top in championship week, even though the Ravens and Broncos at Denver uh, in week 15 mm-hmm. precede it. Um, going through and looking for some teams that have really nice schedules, I mean, San Diego, Phillip Rivers is is mm-hmm. the guy that if you haven't had a trade deadline yet, you want to get some big production from the quarterback spot, maybe you're making a two-for-one, three-for-two kind of swap. Rivers and you know even Melvin Gordon's not a bad play, but the, the pass catchers, Dontrell Inman, if you didn't pick him up already, someone else did, and you can get him. He might be a sneaky trade target right now because people are expecting so much from Tyrell Williams if he plays these next few weeks. Inman might just fly under the radar, and his target volume has been pretty stable throughout this season anyway. Yeah, I mean, you do want to have a piece of either, I think, Williams or Inman. I think Benjamin Travis Benjamin is kind of finishing third in that, uh, in, in that production department now. But yeah, Rivers obviously... Uh, you know, a guy that you just kind of always had around as a matchup play. Now it's obviously the matchup plays where you want to have him. So, yeah, absolutely. Rivers is, is you know, probably a huge, uh, huge boon for most uh, quarterback needy teams right now. But thinking about the, the Chargers, too, I mean, Travis Benjamin hasn't done a lot. He might even be available in some 10 and 12 team leagues. If you're looking for a flex or maybe even a third receiver, are you picking up Benjamin with the hope that maybe he gets healthy, shows us something this week and becomes startable in weeks 14 and beyond? I, I I would be willing to try it, as I just said. You know, the, the Chargers' passing game is you know still pretty darn explosive. Obviously, in the article says that the Chargers have the second most advantageous uh, schedule for receivers. So you know, just getting a piece of that down the stretch could be just you know all you need really to to go there. And I'm willing to take that chance. Yeah, San Diego and Oakland uh, have the two most favorable schedules from a quarterback perspective. Carolina makes the top five. Atlanta, if you've been relying on uh, Matt Ryan and, and Julio Jones. That duo could carry you, even still their schedule's not getting any more difficult down the stretch. Uh, the Bears actually have a nice schedule, so if you're in a two-QB league and Matt Barkley is now in your world, maybe maybe it's not as much of a disaster uh, as you would have thought. Uh, as far as running backs go, Fat Rob might have the toughest sledding the rest of the way. That makes mm-hmm. me sad because I want to see Fat Rob eat down the stretch. <laughs> I mean, Washington's offensive line has been very inconsistent. They've dominated some weeks, and you know he hasn't gotten many holes open some other weeks. But yeah, I mean, Kelly just when Kelly takes advantage of this backfield, it's it's, it's kind of a shame to see him run into that uh, of that schedule. I I actually don't even know offhand who he's facing, but I can you know let me check on that. But yeah, Kelly obviously a great uh, fantasy pickup who's really kind of uh, you know delivered for first needy owners. Yeah, Arizona, it's the Philadelphia matchup in Week 14. I could I, I could see you know maybe Washington getting past that wide nine defense a little bit because it's, you know, they have a power running attack against that. That might actually work out well for them. Chicago, Carolina are a little bit more difficult, I think, in my mind for sure, though. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Some other players that from a running back schedule perspective line up well, Jeremy Hill. I mean, he's getting more Mm -hmm. touches anyway with Gio Bernard down. Again, if you get that late trade deadline where you can still make moves, uh, Hill's value is already on the rise, might even be more on the rise than, than you realized. If Lamar Miller's healthy, the Texans are, are top six in terms of favorable schedule for running backs. The Bucks are on the top ten. So if, if Doug Martin does go down, that Jacquez Rogers stash plan makes uh, even more sense. Uh, the other teams that are at the the bottom in terms of the difficulty, you know, the Redskins I mentioned before, uh, the Lions. Theoretic though, it's different, right? Because he's he's a pass catching back. He does run the ball reasonably well. I think he's looked better as a ball carrier than I would have expected. I don't think the matchups for me, as far as the quality of the run defense for the opposing team, 
matter as much with Riddick because of how he's utilized. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way when reading that stuff on, on pass catching bats because that does obviously expand the way they're used, expands the matchups they would have in that defense. You, you match them up against the linebackers more so instead of that you know defensive line a little bit because you know Riddick does move around so much they put him in the slot. You know you can't limit yourself when it comes to those types of running backs. You know I, I fully agree with you. I think Riddick is kind of in a category of his own there. I think you know matching up with the Giants linebackers is actually not bad. And as we saw last night, the Dallas you know defense in Week 16. That could have trouble with a guy of his of his caliber that can catch the ball at the back. That does McKinnon kind of own them a little bit. As far as wide receiver matchups go, uh, Washington has great matchups that way, and their receivers are mostly owned. You know, Deshaun Jackson has been scooped up any leagues where he was cut. Jamison Crowder has been owned for several weeks. Uh, Pierre Garcon maybe floating around out there. Could be a couple times where you feel okay throwing him in as the third receiver or the flex. Atlanta top three in terms of favorable matchups. If you picked up Taylor Gabriel. The concern you have is it's a lower snap count, lower target volume type player. But if he's going up against teams that have been really generous to opposing receivers, he might flash up and have a big game or two in the remaining weeks. It, it might be somewhat sustainable because of the schedule and because of the way Kyle Shanahan's been using him. It's high risk, high reward with Gabriel. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Um, but the Rams and the Niners, those are teams that you think could be susceptible to stuff like that. I don't know about Carolina because their cornerbacks have been actually playing decently the last couple of weeks, and obviously they might control the pace of the game a bit more. But, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're missing an A.J. Green, you're just grabbing at straws. Gabriel, like you said, they're going to get him the ball in space however they can. It's basically using him like the way we all want the Rams to use Tavon Austin, basically, just to kind of maximize, get him in space, and see what he can do with it. Some good news from the Saints, by the way. Mark Ingram back on the practice field on Friday. No word yet. Uh, regarding the severity of uh, the the injury, either on the toe, that was something I mentioned earlier. I mean, we just don't know, but he was on the field for the portion of practice, open to the media, according to Herbie Tiope. Herbie actually wrote for Rotowire like ten years mm-hmm. ago. It's kind of kind of funny. He works for the uh, New Orleans Times Picayune now as a good Saints beat writer. But yeah. years ago, he was a Rotowire guy writing a weekly article and covering some teams uh, for us. Uh, looking at tight end matchups again, trying to replace Gronk. I mean, Hunter Henry. And the Chargers, they've got the best schedule as far as what opposing teams have allowed to tight ends. Uh, Zach Miller being hurt really deflates the Bears upside. They've got the second-best schedule. Charles Clay is the guy that I've got currently as my (laughs) second tight end in the Stopa League. He's been a flat tire for most of the season. He's been hurt. I think I'm staying with him, though, Tim. They're a top-three schedule against tight ends. We keep talking about the lack of weapons even though Tyrod doesn't throw it a ton, when he does, Clay's the kind of guy that could pick up some targets in the red zone. He could just come through at the most important time of the year. I don't know if I'd want him in a one tight end league, but in a two tight end league, I think you can do worse. Oh, yeah, two tight end, you have to get guys like Clay that even have that hint of upside there. Uh, in the last four weeks, he's had four targets inside the 20, and I believe he had one inside the five la- uh, in week 11. So, yeah, um, you know, we talk about they got to find someone to throw to. That could be the case there. And, you know, if the certain matchup reads it there and, you know, the safeties or the linebackers really don't cover tight ends well, you kind of have to use it. Was it uh, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Miami? Yeah, I think I, I think those fall into that category. Yeah, it's not not that bad. Uh, I'm worried about this week. I just got to get into the playoffs, even though mm-hmm. points mm-hmm. leader, really frustrating. That's uh, the way it should be, though. You shouldn't have to worry for the points leader by that much. No, no, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. I should be in first place right now. I'm, I'm putting up good numbers every week. Do it again this week. Keep it going. Just win the game, get in, it'll be fine. But I'd... I'd Man, it'd be big to uh, to come away with a league title in that one. Uh, defense, team defense. Atlanta has the best strength of schedule. You don't think of them as a defense oh, that you God. want to throw out there very often. Seattle, Minnesota, two teams that definitely get a lot of consideration. New Orleans right there with Atlanta as far as a defense. Very few people want to use. Houston's in the top five. Oakland, San Diego, Washington, San Francisco, and Miami round out the top ten. Uh, at the other end of the spectrum, Tim, the Ravens, who have become a good fantasy defense this year. The Broncos, who everybody likes playing. Uh, the Giants, who have become much better in the pass rush, especially in recent week. Those three teams are all in the bottom five with more difficult schedules the rest of the way. Yeah, I, I think that's a case where you're gonna, they're going to really be tested. I think Obviously, we saw the Patriots going against the Broncos. That's that's a case where I think that would skew that schedule up for. I haven't looked at exactly at the schedules those guys face yet, but, you know, that's a case where, you know, thank, thank goodness defense, I think, is such a fluid category late in the year. So many things change, and you play you, at that point, you really don't care about what happens 
for you know the coming weeks when it comes to defense. I think that's the one you should care least about, along with kickers, just to kind of play the matchups. If you're not have like a Justin Tucker, you don't have like a Broncos defense. You probably have to keep Denver in there just because that pass rush is so good and sacks are the only you know they're the main thing you should concern yourself with when it comes to defensive team points. But you know the Ravens do can they really have that much of a pass rush against you know these good teams like that? So I don't know. Um, you know it's a case where you might consider dropping them if, if the matchup really really goes sour. Be sure to check out Jim's article. It's called Fantasy Playoffs Weeks 14 through 16 Strength of Schedule Rankings. You get a free 10-day trial to Rotowire if you're not currently a subscriber at rotowire.com slash pod, P-O-D, uh, and that'll get, kind of get you through the rest of the preparation for this week and next week if you really like the site. It'd be great if you could buy a subscription. we got all sorts of options you could do a month even just to get through the rest of football season. All right, Tim, let's take a look at some players we like on DraftKings uh, for this week. Starting at the quarterback position, as we always do, I know Russell Wilson let me down and a lot of other people down last week. Cam Newton, similar boat, but better than Wilson, at least by comparison. I want to go right back to the well on Russell Wilson. The only explanation I have for why Seattle was so bad last week against Tampa Bay in a good matchup was a combination of jet lag, uh, undocumented food poisoning, and probably (laughs) some kind of gas leak, either on the plane ride to the game or in the hotel the night before or in the locker room before the game or possibly in all three locations because Seattle, their offense looked so good in the previous three games. To lay an egg against Tampa Bay was really surprising. See, I think they went to Cigar City the night before and had too much good beer. That's, that's my that's, that's a, my that's guess. a good theory, and that <laughs> moves up quite a bit as far as uh, things I would believe as, as the case for why they were so bad. Uh, I don't know, man. Sometimes Wilson just has these dog of a game if he doesn't have time to throw. And I guess, I, you know, there was a little bit of press coverage that was pretty decent with Tampa Bay. They kind of held them from getting the deep ball going. So I guess they kept Wilson in a little bit more contained than usual. Yeah, I was really shocked, too, because even after the Evans t- two touchdowns, the, the Bucks offense really didn't do much after that. They just got to them quick and they held on for dear life. And, yeah, I, I'd be surprised if Wilson was that bad again. Uh, you know, the Seattle against Carolina this week, obviously a little bit more of a defensive line to deal with, but, uh, you know, the, 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 the backfield of without Luke Keekley, I'm guessing he's not playing again for Carolina. That That's a case where Seattle should take advantage. Absolutely. So I like the idea of Wilson, and yes, I will be stacking him with other <laughs> members of the Seahawks offense. Definitely uh, no surprise there. It just makes a lot of sense. Uh, the top quarterbacks, Breeze, Brady, Roethlisberger, Stafford, they're at 76, 75, 7,400, and then 7,000 respectively. So a bit of a price break if you go Stafford compared to the top three. Uh, Matt Ryan is 6,800 at home against the Chiefs. He's a better play on DraftKings than he is on FanDuel uh, by comparison. And Aaron Rodgers at 6,700 is tempting. Uh, I don't want anything to do with Cam on the other side of that Panthers-Seahawks matchup. Derek Carr at 6,500 is definitely in play. I'm a little worried about the dislocation uh, problem in his pinky. He's got two dislocations. And then Phillip Rivers is right there at 6,500. So I think if you want to spend a little more than the 6,300 it costs to get Russell Wilson, Phillip Rivers at 6,500 might be the most appealing cost-wise of those top 10 quarterbacks. Yeah, I, I think that the, the the Chargers passing game is a little bit different from the Seattle one. I think the Chargers, you know, do a little bit more to kind of give what's taken, you know, take what's given to them, I mean, for for, for that Tampa Bay defense. So, yeah, I think Rivers, you know, that, you know, uh, was it $1,100 cheaper than Drew Brees? Pretty good value this week. I wouldn't mind paying up for Brees or Stafford. I think the, you can get, get away with some of the position distributions at running back wide receiver that you can pay up for one of the quarterbacks this week. But, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with, with that one. And, obviously, Colin Kaepernick at 6,100 against the Bears looks pretty intriguing to me as well. Yeah, Cap has a wide range of outcomes, but the, the, the production we've seen from him over the last three games has been excellent. So I think you have to think about him at 6,100 as well. Uh, Eli Manning at 5,900 might be somewhat low owned in what could be one of the better shootout matchups of the week with Eli though. We just haven't seen a lot of monster games this year. Maybe he's just due. you know, I, I hate, I hate to say it like <laughs> that, but it's got to happen eventually because the Steelers are going to put points up on the board. They often do at home. You know, it could be one of those games where it's just Brown and Beckham back and forth trading off big plays. And if that happens, Manning, of course, by association has to be productive as well. Well, Ben McAdoo might have to actually, you know, be forced to keep pace. So I, I don't know how confident we are in that case of maybe he'll just slow the slow the clock down by running and stuff like that to try to keep Brown and Big Ben off the field more so. Uh, but you know, obviously Eli has the capability to to sling it 
along with Big Ben. I mean, that it would be, you know, sometimes these games that we always think are going to be shootouts always turn out to be, you know, funky, you know, really slow plotting games. And, you know, this might be the case with New York might be trying to do that strategy. I feel like the, the, the offense they're running right now, the Giants, like the way that they insist upon using Rashad Jennings, it, it's like, is Ben McAdoo the guy that can afford any car he wants, but he chooses to drive like a 96 Cutlass Supreme because <laughs> he's just comfortable with it? Just, just you know, you're used to it. It's not, you know, it's gonna, you know, the problems that it has, but you can deal with them, I guess, and you can work around them just so you can stay with what you know. Maybe, uh, you know, Paul Perkins, we we've been clamoring for him to get more involved, and it hasn't happened yet. So maybe, maybe Jennings is doing the right things that a guy like Ben McAdoo, who might be a little old school, maybe he appreciates that and rewards him for. I don't know. It's 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 boggling to me too that Jennings is, is has this much control right now. I guess if you were gonna build a car in your garage, the the Cutlass might be one that you could <laughs> assemble. Very gradually, but you could do it over time and, and probably do it uh, successfully. Anything else at quarterback that really stands out to you? I mean, Jameis at 6,200, I think, is in play as well. We talked about Tyrod a bit earlier. He's 5,700. Uh, but, you know, as far as sub $6,000 quarterbacks, is, is there anyone else to, to mention? Um, do, do, do you do the Blake Bortles against the grain type of play at 5,000? <laughs> no, I, I don't. <laughs> I, I, week, I've been, been wrecked by Jag stacks before. I mean, <laughs> ultra that, contrarian, I guess. Is that, get, Nick, is that Nick's doing that makes you do the, all the Jags picks? <sighs> yeah, I've got to the point where I don't even like talking about the Jags anymore. I, I, I feel bad for him that he has to be. Well, he chose to be a fan of that team when he was a kid and didn't opt out by the appropriate age. So now he's stuck yeah. with that forever. So he, he did cool. choose it. Yeah. Cool logo though. I, I, I kind of get why he would back then the, the starter jacket must've been pretty sweet. Yeah. Back yeah, in the late nineties. But the thing is he grew up in North central Wisconsin, like close to green Bay and just went contrarian by picking the Jags. So kind of a big mistake oh. in the long run. Uh, as far as the uh, fanhood goes, uh, let's talk running backs. David Johnson, 9500 this week. Le'Veon Bell, 9200 Then a big price break before you get to Shady at 7800 Melvin Gordon at 7200 So there are four backs above 7000 Two of them are at 9200 or more. Uh, do you pay for any of the top two guys? Do you go with McCoy or Gordon? How, how do you handle running back? I think I'm going cheap this week. As much as it would be nice to play one of those two in a cash game, maybe maybe that's where you play them. As I said before, I I, I wouldn't mind spending big on a Drew Brees at quarterback and then having you know a, any of the litany of running backs at seven thousand or below. It's you know a lot of choices this week. I, I think you know even Lashawn McCoy at seventy eight, I think is a relatively good value against Oakland in that sense. I don't know if I would trust Buffalo's passing game against Oakland. Uh, the way it's constructed, but I definitely think McCoy is going to have his fair share of production, at least, you know, 15 or so PPR points. So maybe you get McCoy off there and then maybe you get that cheaper number two running back off here and see where that goes. The duo I keep going back to are uh, the two guys going up against each other in the San Francisco Chicago game, Jordan Howard at 6,900. I know Jay Ajayi didn't tear up the Niners the way many people expected him to, uh, but Carlos Hyde's cheap. Howard's 6,900. He's a little bit more expensive than I would have expected. Carlos Hyde's 5,300. When Carlos Hyde plays, he gets touches. In terms of his fantasy points per game, he's averaging a tick more than Jordan Howard on DraftKings this season. 5,300 seems like a bargain for Hyde. If I had to pick one, he'd be the guy. He'll be even higher owned, I think, than Jordan Howard. But I have no qualms about putting those two guys against each other in what should be cool and possibly snowy conditions in Chicago this weekend. Yeah, it's definitely not not one where you want to invest in the passing game, I think, this week. Uh, both teams have such terrible fronts that you could get away with playing both of them. I think I agree with you there. Um, you know, Howard, the case, the Niners have actually improved the run defense the last couple of weeks. Uh, they, they kind of switched things around, and um, I think that's a case where you might be able to to trust more recent information than what, you know, what we've seen with, you know, the history-making terribleness that they've had. So I think that's, that's a case where you would go with, uh, with Hyde against the Bears instead, who, you know, really don't have much in the way of linebacker play or anything like that. So, yeah, Hyde getting to the second level could be huge. I, I think I'd rather have Hyde because I think Howard might be more, the more popular choice. And the case against Jordan Howard goes as follows. Devontae Freeman is 6,100. Uh, Thomas Rawls is only 5,900 if you're not going to play Russell Wilson. Theo Riddick's 5,800. Doug Martin's 5,700. Yep. LeGarrette Blunt's 5,500. I think that might help to keep Howard's ownership number from being ridiculous. And, and maybe you're onto something. Maybe San Francisco has made enough adjustments where the, the game from Jordan Howard will be good but not great. It might be 95 yards on the ground, 20 receiving yards, and maybe a TD, which is, is great. But you can do better for less, perhaps. Devontae Booker. 
at 5,100 is really interesting to me. He's had more than 20 carries in back-to-back games. It's hard to get volume like he's been getting and to not find the end zone. So I think this is a nice spot for him against Jacksonville. Jacksonville's actually pretty good against the pass, too. So you wonder if Denver might find ways to get the ball into Booker's hands uh, as a pass catcher out of the backfield, maybe get him out in space. So I kind of like him at 5,100 this week. Yep, obviously it's it's one of those games where you would would guess that the game flow is going to really go in the favor of the run as well. So yeah, Booker obviously for for that price, you know, pretty good workload that might be ahead there. Uh, you know, and then going, I guess Spencer Ware at sixty four hundred. I, I didn't catch if you mentioned it, but I kind of like that matchup against Atlanta as well. Um, but then you know you also have someone like Jeremy Hill down at forty three hundred. Um, you know, playing that e- that Eagles team, I think that's a workload given right there as well. Even you know even more so twenty touches there. Yep, still in the mix. I would definitely agree on that. Um, Kenneth James Dixon, Starks. Yeah, James Starks as a pass-catching option. That's the thing. If, if Kristen Michael gets more involved, Starks is going to catch passes. But you wonder with, with Aaron Rodgers having the hamstring problem, you know, if, if his mobility is limited, if dumping the ball off to the running backs becomes a bigger part because he can't extend plays himself. You know, that, that mu- yeah. Again, we don't know for sure, but that could easily be part of the, uh, the limitations for Aaron Rodgers. In this particular matchup, uh, you look a little further down. Denard, even though he's going to get more touches, probably isn't in play at thirty-two hundred for me. Uh, great low price, but it's the wrong week to do it if you uh, expect the Jags to get um, roughed up in that game. And I, I kind of expect that to be the case. Anybody else at running back? I know you mentioned Jeremy Hill. His price is still low, so his ownership rate will be high. But I, I think it makes sense going up against the Eagles. Yeah, um, you know, volume, volume, you know, per dollar, that's a pretty good one. Uh, obviously, you mentioned we, we we mentioned Starks before against Houston. You know, as a pass catcher, he's kind of taking that Ty Montgomery a little bit of that role that he had, and you know, kind of taking that as his own. That's kind of why I like him a little bit more. Um, but also, we we skipped uh, over, you know, Tim Hightower, Mark Ingram situation. That's an interesting one too. Hightower forty eight hundred compared to Ingram, who's at six thousand. You know, that's a pretty nice difference for the for the relative lack of difference there is in their basic value. I think that's the that's where you go high tower in that case, obviously with Ingram, you know, his status uncertain there. So, you know, running back, as we've seen he, all these guys, you know, below seven thousand, uh, that's where you spend up in other positions. I think there's a ton of value that we just went over right now. Yeah, there there is. And if you go cheaper at running back, it opens up the money you want to spend on receivers. Uh, you got Antonio Brown at 9,100 against the Giants. Julio's 8,700 against the Chiefs. Mike Evans is 8,600 against the Chargers. Odell Beckham's 8,500 against the Steelers. Of those four, are you going to try to get two of those players in or just one? Uh, try two, but I think there's a little bit a little bit more down a wide receiver as well that I would be interested in. You know, it's kind of you know the, the weak running back and then the the weak well, the, sorry the cheap running back and the cheap receiver. Maybe you do take two of those guys. Uh, I, it's hard to go against Brown really, um, unless you want to stack up you know so, someone from the Saints or someone from the Lions or someone from the Chargers there that might be a little bit more expensive to kind of uh, you know let that go a little bit. Um, maybe, but but then again, you have Evans against the Chargers. That that secondary has obviously had some problems you know this year. So that, that's another maybe Evans is the one that kind of gets lost in the mix there. Yeah, the the tricky thing if you're going to go heavy with those wide receivers and you got to go cheaper at tight end, you got to go pretty cheap with your flex option. It's doable, mm-hmm. and I'm just trying to figure out like how like the who's the who's the best player on the board this week for a flex at four thousand or less. I mean, you're talking a Taylor Gabriel as an option. I guess James White, uh, Marquise Wilson is in there. Eric Ebron, if you want to go Ebron. tight end, tight yep. end, he's thirty nine hundred. Uh, donut last Stills. week, but. Yeah, Kenny Stills at 3,900. So I think if you're going to go with two top-end wide receivers, this is often the case. You have to go ultra-cheap with flex and even pretty low at tight end where either it's Ebron or Fleener and then something else cheap in the flex. They got Kenneth Dixon at 3,700 as well, running back, a guy we didn't mention before. Yeah, so that's interesting. He's got that appeal. Uh, if you're throwing Wilson out there and you want to fade Jimmy Graham because you can't afford him, Mm-hmm. Lockett and Baldwin, maybe instead. Maybe it's not a Jimmy Graham week, even though Carolina's been bad against opposing tight ends. I think yes. they've been surprisingly bad, like top two bad, like tied with the Browns or something. The Lions Definitely are top five, yeah. So Definitely you, top five. You can yeah. pick on that matchup a bit uh, with Jimmy Graham, but if you can't afford it and you want to fade it because you think it's going to be chalky, and it might be, Malcolm Mitchell is a cheap option going up against the Rams. The only thing I'm worried about in that game is it could be, it could be such a LeGarrette Blunt game. I know the Patriots are the kind yep. of team that will just run away with a game in the first half. And, and Brady has a five-passing TD game and a half against uh, Jeff Fisher and the Titans, I want to say back in like 09 or something like that, or 2011. It's been a while. But they might end up just running the ball more than we would like. And if that happens, Malcolm Mitchell, 
lets us down because he's not a high volume player, but he does have three TDs in the last two weeks, so he's got to be in consideration for that cheap flex as well. Yeah, um, obviously the Patriots change their game plan on a whim, so you know maybe maybe it's maybe he gets involved early, like like kind of happened last week, and you know they they just steamroll the Rams and then they run the ball in the second half, but you know they make things work in the first half. It's kind of tough to bank on a low end Patriots guy like that, especially. It's funny the price hasn't met the hype that he's gotten, which is what still makes him intriguing. But I don't know, it, it's it's it could be a, it's another week that it might just be Julian Edelman just just catching off a lot of other passes now. So yeah, it, the, the Patriots low end guys that have hype, they're not going to help you. I think. Yeah, I, I would agree. If you want to go just completely off the wall, you just want to do something that nobody else is going to have. I have to think your ownership rate on Sammy Coates would be what point five percent. He's got one catch in his last six games. He's had two broken fingers. He's thirty two hundred. He's the kind of player that needs about three targets to make a big play or two. Again, you're looking for crazy low ownership, something going right. I might be healthier now than he was a few weeks ago trying to play through those broken fingers. It's a long shot, but if you're looking for the crazy long shot, Sammy Coates still of some interest to me. Yeah, matching up with the depths of that Giants uh, secondary, you know, whoever whoever gets Eli Apple is basically the one that's going to go off. And I think the outside, that should be Coates if he plays. So, yeah, that, that's actually a really good point. But he's been buried as far as his role with that injury. Right. Uh, yeah. So, again, just looking for those those darts he could throw. Uh, how about Tyreek Hill? You like Tyreek Hill this week? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, one of the guys I had written down for sure. Um, kind of maybe like you do the, the, the expensive wide receiver, then you do like a Tyreek Hill and maybe for daring a Will Fuller at 4,700 if he actually has some role now. <laughs> against the Packers. Fuller against the Packers depth guys. I know Demarius Randall came back uh, last week, but you could still see the Packers maybe leaking a few big plays from time to time. So I, I could see the Will Fuller GPP appeal for uh, this week. Tight ends. I mean, I mentioned Graham before. He's expensive at 5,500, but still not to the point where you can't afford him at all. I think you can definitely use him if you go a little lighter with your top receivers. Uh, Travis Kelsey is in play for that high scoring game or projected high scoring game between the Chiefs. And the Falcons, uh, Eric Ebron, we mentioned him before, very cheap. Uh, Kobe Fleener is certainly in the mix as well. And then C.J. Fedorowicz going up against the Packers. He's only 3,800 this week as well. Yeah, hope hope he gets past that injury out on Wednesday. I'm not sure of the practice report this week, but yeah, definitely a good one there. I also like uh, Zach Ertz against the Bengals, a top five PPR matchup for tight ends as well. Yeah, 4,300, certainly not bad for Ertz. Defenses, I've uh, been trying to pay up for either the Patriots at home against Jared Goff, the Broncos on the road against Blake Bortles, or the Ravens at home against Ryan Tannehill. All more expensive defenses this week. The Ravens, the cheapest of that bunch at 3000 uh, Any particular defenses standing out to you? Actually, it was mainly those three. Maybe the Chargers hosting Jameis Winston. Uh, Jameis Winston has his games where he can you know, kind of get a little wobbly, especially the cross-country trip like this. Maybe a little bit of a karma for what they did to, to our Seahawks last week, uh, you know, going cross-country and the, the Chargers take advantage of them all of a sudden. Uh, but yeah, mostly I think it's mostly week Alvin looking to pay up as well because the Pages and Rams and just Bill Belichick you know, toying with a rookie quarterback just sounds so enticing in fantasy right now. Oh, yeah, I think they're going to just make <laughs> the Rams look stupid, uh, even without Gronk. That's going to be a pretty ugly game at Foxborough on Sunday. Uh, maybe this is the new thing we got to look out for. Teams going on the road to great beer town. San Diego certainly would be <laughs> high on that list, so that could be part of the problem for yeah. uh, for the Bucks this week. To that end, Tim, what's uh, what's on the shelf? What's, uh, what's in the fridge for this week? Uh, well, it's actually going to be transporting to first holiday party of the season and my buddy's in Hoboken uh him and his wife host this really big grand gala each you know each December hors d'oeuvres that are you know top notch that's basically the key to any party besides the alcohol and you know bringing uh, the big uh, magnum bottle of uh, Anchor Christmas 2014 um you know pretty stellar beer aging it you know got it at a nice little discount at a beer shop uh earlier this summer actually so you know you buy low at the times when it's out of season it's perfect so uh yeah look, looking like a pretty fun weekend what about you? Yeah, I've got uh, bowling coming up. Monthly bowling nice. league comes up. And the uh, Badgers in the Big Ten Championship game against Penn State. So yep. not, not sure what exactly I'm going to have. I had something good yesterday on the way home. I stopped off to just look for a nice bottle. And I got a sour from uh, Upland Brewing Company in Bloomington, Indiana. And it was the Revive. So it was it was compared to other individual-sized servings at the liquor store, it was expensive. It was like six fifty for a bottle, but at the same time, if I go out to a good bar and get that, it's going to cost me ten or twelve bucks. So, mm-hmm. it's all about like gauging what it would cost to get something like that elsewhere. And once you do that, I think it, you can justify 
the occasional splurge. I thought it was really good. If you like sours, I, I would recommend it. Uh, weird thing was, it almost had like a like a fall seasoning sort of uh, smell to it, even though the taste was more like a pineapple, uh, typical sort of citrusy sour, but a dry finish, not not too sweet at all. So if you don't like the sweet sours, this would be a good recommendation. So I'm not sure what I'm going to pull out for this weekend. I've got uh, Convenient Distraction as a bottle. It's a bomber I've been sitting on for a while. Uh, it's kind of a coffee-flavored beer from a place i think it's from oso here in wisconsin so that might be the the call for the badger game on saturday night there you go is that the oso that's the same one in arizona no they're not related that that's weird it's ohso no or... this, this is o apostrophe so oh okay because you know i i think we did we go to oso in arizona last time we we hung out at first before yeah, that, yeah. That, that place is good i strongly yeah. recommend that if you're mm. in the the valley and, and looking for a place to get some nice beers. Uh, convenient distraction is a imperial porter, so Ooh, that's yeah. nice. Good, good seasonal beer that'll probably make its way uh, out of the pantry for uh, for this weekend. It's going to wrap things up for this episode of the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. Thanks for listening. Nick and I are back with you on Monday. Your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.